I've been waiting to say this. Are you ready? Are you ready for God's word? Are you ready for God's word? Because I believe God has a word for you today that is going to bless you the way it's blessed me. When I dove into this, it blessed me. So I believe it's going to bless you. So in fact, here's what I want you to do. I want you to tap your neighbor on the shoulder and say, you about to be blessed. Look at somebody else and say, you're blessed. You're blessed. You're blessed. You're blessed. Somebody say, woo. And then you, you can not be seated just i'm a little rusty i know i haven't been here for a little bit but um i'm gonna make you stand up for just another second is that all right i, I want to thank you for uh for praying for for me while we've been on vacation a little recovery time from a surgery and a wedding out of town a little vacation all in the mix but today I, i'm just i'm just ready to see what god's got for us y'all ready so, so let me say this. We've, we've been in this series called Summer Remix. We're closing the series today. Today's the last day. Summer Remix, what is it? Well, basically what we do is we take these series from last year, four-week series usually, and we kind of mix them back up, and then we repackage them, and we give them back to you in, in like a one-week like synoptic and it's kind of like a flash in the pan and the series that I want to end this series with the series from last year that I want to end this series with is the series you're it how many of you remember you're it look at your neighbor and say you're it basically the series was was understanding that God wants to use us in a fundamental way to grow the kingdom big ways little ways obscure ways and we called it you're it because we wanted to celebrate your willingness to be used by God to fulfill the work that he has for you in the kingdom and that's where today's narrative comes in judges chapter 6 verses 1 through 24 three of y'all are blessed man I missed y'all I'm going to preach to the seven that missed me today. I'm just saying. <laughs> to you seven, raise your hands. I'm going to preach to y'all. No, I did miss you, but I, I know that, that God has spoken to you over the last several weeks through all of our staff and others. And, but Judges chapter 6, let me just set this up. If you read Judges chapter 6, you know it's the story about Gideon. Gideon, what does he do? Gideon is this guy who says he's weak. He doesn't have anything to offer. I'm just the weak. I'm, my family's weak. I'm the weakest in my family. But yet God calls him a mighty warrior. And Gideon ends up taking 300 warriors and they take on 120,000 of an opposing force from the Midianites. And, and they, they win. And, and therefore the Midianites are defeated and Israel is saved. And all of that stuff is really cool. But there is this backstory that's inside of Judges chapter 6 that I think sometimes we overlook, we miss. And I want to look at the backstory. What I want to do is just read a few verses with you today, and then I'm going to let you be, be seated. J just let me read a, a, a couple of verses first. Just for the sake of time, I'm going to skip down to um, Judges chapter 6, verse 11. Everybody say verse 11. The angel of the Lord came and he sat down under the oak at Ophrah and that belonged to Joash the Abizarite where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it 
from the Midianites when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon and he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Gideon says, pardon me, my Lord. But if the Lord is with us, then why has all of this happened to us? Where are all of his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and he's given us into the hand of Midian. Why do bad things happen to good people? But it's verse 14 that I want to pay attention to just briefly. The Lord turned to him and said, in other words, it seems as if the Lord is facing away from him, but now the Lord turns to him. Like, like I'm, I'm, you know, I'm facing away from Colin, but now I turn towards Colin. And, and then the Lord says something. He gives him a directive. He says, go in the strength that you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? He says, go in the strength that you have. I, I could preach right there. Go in the strength that you have, not the strength that your grandma had, not the strength that your dad has, not the strength that, 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 that your neighbor has, not, not the strength that your great, 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 great granny had. Go in the strength that you have. So many times we're trying to go in someone else's strength or go in someone else's gifting or go in someone else's, you know, provision or go in someone else's, you know, talents. God says, go in the strength that you have. But then skip down with me. I forgot you were standing. You, you want to be seated? Yeah, y'all go ahead. Y'all be seated. Half of y'all were already probably doing so anyway. But I want to show you something. You got to see this. Skip down with me to verse 22. Um, verse 22. When Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, Allah, sovereign Lord. I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face, but the Lord said to him, peace, do not be afraid. You are not going to die. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and he called it, the Lord is peace. To this day, it stands in Oprah of the Abizarites. It's verse 23 that's the bookend that I wanna look at for just a moment. But the Lord said to him, peace, do not be afraid. You are not going to die hang on a second so we see that that God spoke two things in verse 14 he said go in the strength that you have in, in verse 23 he spoke peace over his life one is strength the other is peace so what did Gideon do Gideon built an altar in that day and age in the Old Testament culture you would build an altar and you would use the altar for sacrifice for praise and and for worship and you would build the altar and you would give an altar a name in this case he gave the altar the name the Lord is peace meaning that the Lord is not one who gives you peace that the Lord is peace but how many of you know sometimes we can have a lack of peace in our lives and because of the lack of peace in our lives we tend to have a lack of strength because the lack of peace drains our strength. So he speaks to him and he says, go in the strength that you have. And then he bookends it by pronouncing peace over his life. I could preach this because it reminds me of what the apostle Paul says in Philippians chapter four, verse seven, when he says, and God will give to you a peace that surpasses all understanding that will guard your hearts and will guard your minds. Hold on a second. We'll guard your heart and we'll guard your mind. We'll guard your spirit and we'll guard your thoughts. How many of you know there's a connection between your spirit and your thoughts? He will guard with his peace your spirit 
and your thoughts. Why? Because when there is a lack of peace in your life, there is usually a lack of strength in your life. And so he's trying to show us that you have to both guard your spirit and you have to guard your thoughts. Huh. Let me show you something here really quick. Look again at verse 11. Verse 11. I want to read just just a couple of verses one more time just to refresh your memory. Verse 11. The angel of the Lord came and he sat down under the oak at Ophrah. There was Gideon threshing wheat in a wine press. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, You, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. If you understand anything about the wine press, you understand that's an oxymoron, calling him a mighty warrior. He said, pardon me, my Lord, but if the Lord is with us, then why is all of this tragedy happening happening to us? Then in verse 14, it says, the Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength that you have. Let me just pause right here. Theologians call this a theophany. What is a theophany? A theophany is when there is this physical representation of Jesus. Theologians believe that this is a physical representation of Jesus standing before Gideon as if he's saying to Gideon, tapping him on the shoulder, saying that you are it. But Gideon is like, how can I be it? I've got all of these issues. I've got this weakness. I've got these problems. I've got this difficulty. Here he is threshing wheat in a wine press. Here is the Lord saying that you're it. And then the Lord speaks over his life and he says, go in the strength that you have. He didn't look at him and say, hey, go in the strength that Moses had. Don't you wish you had Moses' strength? He didn't say, why don't you become a mighty warrior the way Joshua was? He didn't say go in in the giftings that someone else has. He didn't say go and begin to give when you have enough money. He didn't say go and begin to serve when you have enough time. Listen, I want to speak to you today. I want to get right all up in your business. It's not that I am trying to get more out of you. What I am hoping is that you'll take this message and you'll begin to live the more that God has for you. Because can I tell you something? I'm going to just go ahead and give you the title. Can I give you the title? Is that all right? Are you ready for the title? Stop trying to use what you do not have. Mm. Let that resonate with you. Stop trying to use what you do not have. Let me say it again. Stop trying to use what you do not have. Because in order for you to accomplish the very things that God has spoken over your life, it takes more than just your belief in him. It takes your belief in yourself. In order for you to grow into the person that God has called you to be, mighty warrior, it takes more than just believing what he said over you. You've got to also believe that what he said is in you. You've got to understand in order for you to accomplish what God said that you are, you've got to believe that what you have is more than enough to accomplish what God said you can do. 
Lord have mercy. Y'all are not with me today. Can I tell you something? The enemy is a liar. The enemy wants you to focus on what you do not have so that you will not focus on who has you. If the enemy can get you to focus on the storm, you'll forget that God is the God of peace. If the enemy can get you to focus on what you do not have, you'll forget that God is more than enough. If the enemy can get you to focus on the fact that you're tired, you'll forget that God is rest. Is there anybody up in this place that's going to help me today? Good Lord, have mercy. Stop trying to use what you do not have. Which leads me to the question for today. What is it that you have that God wants to use? Uh. Somebody look at your neighbor and say, what is it that you have that God wants to use? What is it that you have, Colin, that God wants to use? What is it? Colin, I forgot you were back there, man. You're smooth. You're smooth. Praise the Lord. Let me, let me set this thing up. Let me give you some context. Thanks, Colin. I appreciate your help. Go back to verse 1. Go back to verse 1. Because verse 1 will begin to highlight for us where the nation of Israel was at. What was going on and why it was going on. Here's what... It says in chapter 6, verse 1, it says, The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And for seven years, he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Hold on a second. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And for seven years, he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. So in other words, they're oppressed, somewhat in bondage, but yet their oppression and their bondage has everything to do with their own decisions. Everything that they've done up until this point, has they've done it without God being involved in it. Let me explain this. For 400 years, they were in bondage in Egypt. For the last 40 years, or prior to these seven, they were living in freedom in the land that God had promised them. But for the last seven years, they've been oppressed. They've been in bondage again. And it says that the reason why is because of decisions that they made. In other words, everything that they were trying to do, they were trying to do it without God being involved in it. They were trying to place their own priorities ahead of God being the priority. They were trying to put other things in place rather than knowing that God needs to be the one in that place. Sometimes, can I tell you this, sometimes it is so easy for us, for God to pull us out of something, and then we get out of that something, and we're supposed to trust in God, but rather than trusting in God, God takes us out of something. God takes us out of bondage, but yet we'll turn back around and go back to that bondage, because it seems easier to go back to what we know than to trust in God for what we do not know. I mean, the Egyptians have been pulled out of 400 years of captivity, and now for the last seven years, they decide they want to go back to it. What does that look like? Verses 2 through 5 tells us what it looks like. Here's what it says. It says, because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts and caves and strongholds. Rather than occupying the land, they're hiding in the land that God gave to them. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, the Amalekites, and the other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep nor cattle nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and 
Their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to even count them or their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Get this visual image in your head of what's happening here. It's not that the Midianites come in to occupy the land. They come at harvest time. In other words, the people of Israel have worked the land. They've planted the land. They've tried to plant crops in the land that is supposed to be flowing with milk and honey. And at harvest time, here comes the Midianites to take and to ravage everything that they've worked hard for, everything that they've tried to do. All of the work and the effort that they've put into it is now profitless. For the last seven years, they've been trying and trying and trying, and everything that they seem to try fails. Everything that they do fails, and, and, and here they are again at the seventh year, and, and everything seems to be going wrong. And so look what happens in verse 6. It says, Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. Verse 7, when the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet. Hold on a second. They cried out, and God did what? Sent. They cried out, and God sent. What that is telling us is that when they cried out, God heard their cry. Oh, hold on a second. I need you to put all this together. This is what the Lord said, the God of Israel says, I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Now, hold on a second. They cried out, and God sent. For seven years, they tried everything, Richie. Everything they tried, it did not work because everything they tried, they did not include God in it. In other words, we're learning something about the Israelites that I think will also kind of tell us something about ourselves. What they did was rather than going to God first, they went to God last. <laughs> they used God as a last resort rather than a first resource. Sometimes we do the same thing. We, we, we go to God last. We, 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 we do all of these things. And I'm not saying that we're not supposed to be doing things. Yes, God wants you to be doing things. But sometimes we're traveling down a road doing things and in situations that we shouldn't be in, but yet wanting God to change the situation when we or we're not even supposed to be on that road. Hang with me because I, I think you'll, you'll get a glimpse of what I'm talking about. So here they are crying out. I don't know what their prayer life was like. I don't, know, I don't know what it was like when they cried out. I don't know if they were like, you know, we've tried everything. I mean, we've planted and we've toiled in the land and we've, we, we've tried to hide crops in, in certain areas in hopes that the Midianites wouldn't see it. We've done it all. We've put together committees. We, we've sought out the wisest counsel and, and we've asked people what we should do. God, we, we, we just don't know. We've put together all of these forces and we've put together all of these people in hopes that we could try to figure this thing out on our own. And we put it all on social media. We put it on Facebook and we put it on, we put it on the Instagram and we, we put it on TikTok and we just put everything on TikTok in hopes that we would get an answer. I'm not preaching against social media, so don't get all up in the uproar like, mm, he don't need to be touching my social media today. <laughs> I, I, listen, I'm not one of those that preaches against it. I think it's a tool. And you can use that tool or that tool can use you. It's everyone you want it to be. You can use that tool to glorify God or, or you can use that tool to tell everybody about the bathroom break you just had. I'm just being honest, y'all know. Some of y'all just post everything. Everybody don't want to know everything. 
But you can use it in order to to bring glory unto God. You can use it in order to to spread light instead of darkness. Mm. I don't don't know exactly what the prayer life was like, but here's what I, I, I do know. God wants our problems. Hear me out. God wants your problems, but God also wants your heart. And when God gets your heart, he can help you avoid the problems. God wants your problems. Listen, if you're going through life and you're not seeking the counsel of God in your difficulty, you're missing out on it. Because when you get to heaven, it's not like the Lord's going to say, well, you come over here, Richie. You did so good working through your own problems. Here's an extra ruby for your crown. No. No. No, God's not going to say, here's an extra diamond because you work through every difficulty on your own without getting with me. No, God wants your problems. He wants your big problems. He wants your small problems. He wants your little problems. He wants those problems, these problems, that problem. He wants all of your problems. And God does not reserve the right to only hear problems on Sunday. God doesn't reserve the right to hear certain problems on certain days. God wants all of your problems. You see, mm, good Lord, have mercy. What you need to understand is that you, God also wants your heart. God wants you to give him your heart so that your heart will connect with him instead of bringing to him a full full-fledged problem after seven years, why don't you bring him your heart right up front so that you can avoid that full-fledged problem? Good Lord of mercy. Sometimes we just want God to deal with, how do I say this? We want God to deal with the consequences of our problem. When God would like to be involved in our thoughts before there's a consequence. Ooh. Sometimes we just, we exclude God from it until there's a problem that we can't handle. And then we call upon God to fix the situation when God wants to be involved in your thoughts. Because if he can be involved in your thoughts, he can keep you away from that problem that you are navigating towards. So, you know... How cool would it be rather than waiting seven years to cry out to God, rather than waiting seven months or seven weeks or seven days, we cry out to God over that thing that is just draining us of strength, that, that's keeping us awake at night. And we just cry out to God and, and, and call out to him because we know that he'll hear our cry and he'll send the help that we need. He said, go in the strength that you have. Go in the strength that you have. What's wrong with that verse? Think about this with me. Go in the strength that you have. You know what keeps us, James, you know what keeps us from going in the strength that we have? It's something called anxiety. Like, let me illustrate this for you. You, You've got a job and the job makes you anxious. You got a boss that, you got a boss that's just like, you wish would be somebody else's boss. And it makes you anxious. He makes you anxious. Therefore, you don't even want to go to work. And because you don't go to work, your heart's not in it when you get there. And when your heart's not in it when you get there because you don't feel like you can do everything that you're supposed to do, pretty soon your performance is not what it needs to be. And now it's reflected in your paycheck. All because of anxiety. 
And then the next thing you know, at home, you're having more issues because it's reflecting in your paycheck and you've got less money to pay your bills. And now all of this stuff, and so all of this anxiety has robbed you of your strength and you don't have the ability to go in the strength that you have because your strength left you a long time ago. And therefore, you're not living in a peaceful situation. Peace, man, that's, whew, that's just way away from you. And asking God for help is a foreign thought because why would God help you? You know, you have that thought because now you feel like you're unworthy for God's help because now you've taken up residence in your situation, in your experience. Oh, this is about to get good. And so you allow the experience that you are going through to become the truth in which you live by. And this experience that you're going through begins to become your identity. When God God never set it up to become your identity. He never set it up for Gideon to see himself as weak. He set it up for Gideon to see himself as a mighty warrior. And so that anxiety keeps you away from what it is that God wants you to do, and then you end up taking up residence. In fact, let me show you something. Look, look at verses 11. Again, it says, And the angel of the Lord came, and he sat down with him underneath the tree. He was threshing wheat in the wine press to keep it from the Midianites when the angel of the Lord said to him, you're a mighty warrior and I'm with you. And he said, pardon me if you're with us, then why are we going through all of this stuff? Why are we going through these difficulties? Let me help you understand something. He's threshing wheat in a wine press. That's not where you thresh wheat. Maybe that's not jumping out at you, but in a wine press, you make wine. The wine press is built into the ground. You thresh wheat on the top of a hill. Why is he threshing wheat in the wine press? You know why? Because he does not want the Midianites to see him on top of the hill, which tells you that he's afraid. So he's inside the wine press trying to thresh the wheat when you're supposed to be on top of the hill where the wind blows across the top of the hill and you throw the wheat in the air and it catches the chaff and the wheat falls to the ground. You gather it up and you store it. Then you come over and grab some more wheat. You throw it up into the, the air and the wind blows and the good stuff, you grab it and you put it back again. He's not up on top of the hill because he doesn't want the Midianites to see him because if they come and see him, they'll take it and maybe kill him. So he's in the wine press trying to thresh wheat. It's not working. It's not working. You know why it's not working? Because he's using something for a purpose in which it was not created for. Sometimes we try to use stuff for the purpose in which it was not created for. Sometimes we try to use ourselves in a, for a purpose in which we were not created for and wonder why we're frustrated. It is, ain't it? I don't know who said it, but yep, it sure is. That's what I'm talking about. Here's a, here's a thought. Let me, I'm just jumping around because I told you this is, this is kind of how God gave this to me. We see what... We see what Gideon sees about himself in this story. Here he is in the wine press. I'm weak. Um, my family's weak. You'll, you'll see that in a second. He's scared. He's in the wine press thresh, threshing wheat, which tells you what he thinks about himself, what he thinks about the Midianites, but it also tells you what he thinks about God. Can I tell you something? It is tough to pray yourself out of what you thought yourself into. 
It is tough to have good prayers when your thoughts are not good thoughts. It, it, listen, you cannot make decisions based upon wrong thoughts while at the same time praying God change your situation. Well, that's some good stuff right there. I'm just telling you, we could close it up right there and go on home. You, 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 you can't do that. Listen, Gideon became the product of his lack of peace. Think about this. He became the product of his lack of peace. You see, the life that you end up with is not the result of what you hear. It's the result of what you believe. And how many of you know you cannot believe everything you hear? Are you with me? In fact, look at this, verse 15, it says, he says, okay, well, God, if all of that's the case, then pardon me, my Lord, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I, I'm the least in my family. So how, how in the world am I supposed to do that? So, so now you, you see how he sees himself. You see that he's taken up identity with this. He says, I, 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 how am I supposed to do all of that? How am I supposed to be that? Pardon me, but, but I, I don't see that in myself. His identity has become what everybody else has told him. Listen, what they have said to him. And then he says, and if you are everything that you say you are, then why is it that all of this stuff is happening? You see, all of Israel thought that, that God had forsaken them. But God hadn't forsaken them. Israel had forsaken God. You remember verse 1? They'd placed everything else above God. God hadn't, listen, let me just say it this way. It is so easy for you to believe the evidence that you see rather than the truth that God put in you. It is so easy for you to, to believe the evidence that you see rather than your responsibility in the situation. It is so easy for you to believe the evidence of the cultural crises that, that we seem to be in over and over and over because it's where your doctrine, it's where your theology is coming from. And rather than your theology coming from the NIV, your theology may be coming from FOX or CNN or MSNBC or one of these other news channels, and you wonder why you have so much anxiety, it's because you're taking a word from someone or something that is so much lesser than the word that God has spoken over your life, and therefore you feel like you're weak in Manasseh, and your family is the weakest of all when God called you to be a mighty warrior. Don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. <laughs> I told you now, I just needed a little extra time today. I haven't preached in a while, so I'm just ready to preach. Is that all right? So the promise of God is going to be tough for you to be able to walk into if you've got wrong thoughts because those wrong thoughts have to be, be broken. Here's God just tapping Gideon on the shoulder. He's saying, you're it, and Gideon's like, no, I ain't it. Somebody else has to be it, but I ain't, I'm not it. I, I'm not it. No, yes, you're it. You see, he didn't see himself as a mighty warrior. And then it hit me. It hit me. When I read this, it just, it's like a light went off. When God, when they cried out to God and God sent help, 
The first thing that God did was not to relieve the nation of Israel of the oppression of the Midianites. The first thing that he did was relieve them from the oppression of their thoughts. He had to deal with Gideon's thought process before he could move Gideon to the next phase, the next chapter. So many times we see ourselves living in verses 11 through 13, 14, and 15 rather than being everything that God wants us to be. So when he says, go in the strength that you have, Gideon doesn't even realize he has any strength. There was this, let me illustrate this for you. There was this economist who lived back in the early 1900s who came up with this principle called the 80-20 principle. Anybody ever heard of the 80-20 principle? You've heard of it. It's like where 80% of the work is done by 20% of the people or, or 80% of the wealth is, is held by 20% of the people or uh, what's something else? Um, 20% of the people cause problems for 80% of the people. We could keep going. You, you know the principle that I'm talking about. It's present in every walk of life. Every walk of life is present. It's present in culture, it's present in work, it's present in the church. There's been this, this, this forever adage that 20% of the people do 80% of the work in, in church. Since COVID, that, that percentage has changed. It's now like 10% of the people do 90% of the work. But can I tell you something? We're, we're at Epicenter Church, we're gonna, we're gonna flip that script. You know why? Because God, I believe, has given us an opportunity to minister in our community. And I believe God is doing something incredible, and it's time for us to realize that we're it. You know what I'm talking about? Somebody touch your, your shoulder and say, I'm it. This morning, we had, like, I don't know how many people, but a bunch of people. We had 25 people who signed up for Growth Track. Growth Track is a shameless plug right here. Growth Track is, is if you want to be, belong to this church and you want to become partners with this church, you need to go through Growth Track. It, it tells you who we are, what we are, what we're about, how you can get plugged in, and then you become a partner with our church. It's amazing to me that that many people have signed up for Growth Track in the middle of summer when attendance is always down. It's just God is doing something. Amen? Amen. Say you're it. it. So where was I at? 80-20. All right, so think about this 80-20 principle because it's in every area of life. It's like you can have 80% of everything that you want, but that 20% drives you nuts. Like you can have a dream vacation. It can be perfect, Marguerite. It can be absolutely perfect, but one day it rains. And you're focused on that one day that you missed. It was good, but one day it rained. It's that 20%. You can have a dream job, but that boss, job is great. 80% of it's wonderful, 20% of it. And you're focused on that 20%. You can have a dream house. Everything about the house is everything that you wanted and the AC goes out and all of a sudden, what are you focused on? Not that couch you're sitting on, but the AC. It's hot up in this place. 
And all of a sudden, it's no longer your dream house. What I'm trying to say is we're so focused on that 20% that seems to be so elusive that we stay so focused on it and we feel like we don't have it. Go in the strength that you have. Oh, hold on a second. I don't have this. This 20% over here, I don't have. And because you don't have it, you begin to ignore the 80% of what you do have. You're so focused on what seems to be missing from your life that you begin to ignore what is present in your life. You're so focused on what it seems like you can't have in this situation that you're not using what you do have in this situation. You, you need to help me out up in this place. You need to stop trying to use what you do not have. And, and so, 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 so let me wind this thing down. Let me wind this thing down. Verse, verses 16 and following. This is where I'm going to close. 16 through 20. Go in the strength that you have. I, what I love is he didn't say, he didn't say, go, go in Moses' strength. He didn't say, you, you can look up Moses and find out what he was about. He didn't say, look at Joshua. He was so cool and so awesome. Why don't you, you know, none of that. He didn't say any of those things. He said, go in the strength that you have. That you have. Verse 16. It says, the Lord answered, I will be with you and you will strike down all of the Midianites, leaving none alive. And Gideon replied, if now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that is that it's really you talking to me. Please do not go away until I come back and bring my offering and see, set it before you. And the Lord said, I will wait until you return. What do you have? So Gideon went inside. He prepared a young goat from an ephah and flour. He made a bread until, without yeast and putting the meat in a basket and its broth in a pot. He brought them out and offered them to him under the oak. The angel of God said to him, take the meat and the unleavened bread, place them on this rock and pour out the broth. And Gideon did so. Then the angel of the Lord touched the meat and the unleavened bread with the tip of the staff that was in his hand and fire flared from the rock and consumed the meat and the bread. And the angel of the Lord disappeared. When Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, Alas, sovereign Lord, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace. Do not be afraid. You're not going to die. So Gideon built an altar and he called the place, the Lord is peace. You see, if you want the Lord's peace in your life, hear me. If you want the Lord's peace in your life, you've got to deal with verses 13, 14, and 15. You gotta deal with the thoughts that you have about yourself and your situation. You, you, gotta, you gotta deal with those because your lack of belief and your wrong thoughts and your poor choices and your fear are keeping you out of what it is that God has for you. I don't know who this is for, but it's like God is tapping you on the shoulder today and he's saying, you're it. And you're like, no, I, I'm not it. I, I just don't have what it takes. You, you're it, I need you. No, 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 I'm not it. You need to call on somebody else. You, you, you're it. No, 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 I don't have enough to be what, what it. You get somebody else that's it. And you do not have the peace and the strength that God is trying to pour into your life because you're not focused on what you have. You're focused on the 20% that you don't have. But there was something that happened. That this, this is how, I'm going to close it this way. There was something in verse 14 and something in verse 23 that just absolutely jumped out at me. It said, the Lord said, the Lord said, go in the strength that you have. At the end of the passage, he says, the Lord said, peace. The Lord said, go in the strength that you have. The Lord said, peace. I think sometimes we forget. We hear the word strength. 
we hear the word peace, but we forget or overlook the phrase that precedes it. The Lord said. The Lord said. We come to church because of what the Lord said. We want our kids to live by what the Lord said. Our breakthrough comes from what the Lord said. Our healing comes from what the Lord said. Our forgiveness comes from what the Lord said. Our joy comes from what the Lord said. Our strength comes from what the Lord said. Our peace comes from what the Lord said. Oh, come on, somebody. Our breakthrough comes from what the Lord said. Our tomorrow comes from what the Lord said. Our destiny comes from what the Lord said. Somebody get up on your feet and realize you cannot work what it is that you don't have. You've got to use what you do have because God wants to use you I could keep preaching I heard some people call and say well then keep on going I heard somebody else say oh I'm hungry man stop trying to use what you do not have 